From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Coronavirus is on the verge of becoming an international crisis, but it could also be an opportunity for Scott Morrison to re-establish his credibility. Today, Paul Bongiorno on how the Prime Minister's response to the virus is helping him look like a leader, but might ultimately cost him the surplus he craves. Paul, what has Scott Morrison been doing this week to reshape his image? Well, Ruby, there's an old saying in politics, never waste a good crisis. As each week passes, the impact of the coronavirus, COVID-19, is becoming more apparent to... And it's crystal clear Scott Morrison is putting in a 100% effort not to waste a moment being seen responding to the threat that the coronavirus is posing to Australia and the world. Paul Bongiorno is a columnist for the Saturday paper. So Australia has not been complacent. In fact, Australia has been proactive uh, with the measures that we have put in place in relation to the coronavirus. On Tuesday, flanked by the Treasurer, Health Minister and the Chief Medical Officer, he told a news conference at Parliament House that he could assure Australians that the government is prepared. And the government's decisions from the outset have been exercising an abundance of caution. And that abundance of caution, I think, has been um, rewarded in the outcomes that we have so far been able to achieve. He pointed to the success of the travel ban from China since February the 1st. Now, what that says is, is the self-isolation that we put in place for those more than 30,000 Australians to date has proved to be very effective. And I want to thank all of those Australians for their cooperation. Can you describe the Prime Minister's demeanour during that press conference? What, what was it like? Morrison was assertive, he was centre stage, and he made the bold claim, we are the best prepared as any country can be in the world today. It's a direct contrast, you know, to the accusations, for example, from experts like retired fire chiefs that we were hopelessly underprepared for the catastrophic summer bushfires. So, Paul, do you think that this is working for him? Do Australians seem to think that Scott Morrison has everything under control? Well, the latest news poll out Monday suggests he's still a long way behind the uh, eight ball, as they say. There was a slight improvement in his net satisfaction rating from a dismal minus 22 to an equally dismal minus 20. One of the uh, Liberal backbenchers told me he's done some analysis on the history of news poll and no PM has recovered from that sort of disapproval. They've either been dumped by the party room or they've lost the next election. But there was some better news for the Prime Minister and that's news poll finding that 58% of Australians actually think the lack of hazard reduction was the main contributor to the bushfire catastrophe while only 35% blamed climate change. Social media was flooded with the hazard reduction message. Labor suspects the bots were put to work. And it's something you may remember Morrison pushed very hard as he tried to minimise the impact of global warming. So his rhetoric in that area is obviously working. So does that mean that Morrison has managed to contain the debate on climate change and bushfires then? 
Well, I think you'd have to say to a degree, but it is a sign that voters' focus on climate change as an issue directly affecting them is fickle. The jury's out on whether it'll be a vote changer next time, but Morrison knows that this summer means he has to be seen to be doing something real to address Australia's contribution to reducing global greenhouse gas emissions. His biggest roadblock is the nationals without whom he cannot govern. And the loudest voice leading the charge is none other than Barnaby Joyce. No coal miners going to lose their job, but we're going to get to net zero emissions. That's what right. a load That's of right. rubbish. No good, yeah. He's threatening to cross the floor and he says there are others who would join him if his leader, Michael McCormack, capitulates to the Liberals. And Joyce is as mad as hell about it, as his corridor stoush with Labor's Joel Fitzgibbon amply demonstrated. What a load of rubbish. What an absolute load of pig manure. He's going to reach out to you. Why? He's going to reach out to the coal mine. Don't worry, fellas. We're reaching out to you. We're reaching out to you and saying... We'll be back in a moment. Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. For longtime editor Winnie Dunn, there were a few rules she followed when writing her debut novel. I really don't subscribe to writing for the sake of, you know, trauma dumping or getting your trauma out. That's what a therapist is for. Please, <laughs> please go see a therapist. We're very pro-therapy. Yeah, this, yeah, if, that's, no, if that's what you're using writing for. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's very therapeutic episode of Read This, I chat with Winnie Dunn. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Paul, this week we've heard the Prime Minister trying to send out a strong message to seem like he's in control of the coronavirus outbreak. But what does the outbreak mean for his government's economic agenda? Josh. Well, thank you very much, Prime Minister. The Australian economy has been facing a number of economic shocks that have been beyond our control. Well, Ruby Treasurer Josh Frydenberg on his return from a G20 finance minister's meeting at Riyadh in Saudi Arabia said the economic hit from the coronavirus would be worse than the bushfires for Australia. And at the G20 finance minister's and central bank governor's meeting in Riyadh, this issue about the impact of the coronavirus was the top priority. And he even had warnings that the shutters could come down on the global economy. And it wasn't just those countries that were geographically proximate to China, namely Singapore, Japan and Korea. But it was also economies and countries further afield, like Italy. This week, as the virus spread to other countries, $120 billion was wiped off the Australian stock market. It was the worst three-day performance in four and a half years. Morrison said what he is describing as the health crisis was economy-wide. This is affecting global supply chains. It's affecting the building industry. It's affecting the manufacturing industry. It's affecting our export industry. 
When planes are... That news conference, though, was clearly a softening up of the electorate for what uh, he and the Treasurer are calling unforeseen traction in the economy, putting in doubt the much-touted back in the black budget surplus certainly was unforeseen at the time of the April budget last year. Both men were buying some immunity from any failure to deliver that much-touted budget surplus. Paul, the surplus was a huge part of the coalition's pitch to the electorate, though. So what happens if they don't deliver it? Is there some sort of plan to try and hold on to it? Well, you know, the the post-election analysis uh, by all sides, really, including the ANU, pinpointed the April 2019 budget immediately before we went into election campaign mode It was the turning point for the government's fortunes and its centrepiece was the claim of better economic management and proof of that claim was we're back in the black. There's a budget surplus. No, we'll be back in the black in 2019-20. That's what the budget is. It's 2019-20. I'm pleased that in the current year we've actually beat what I said. So not to deliver it, you'd have to think politically at the very least would be a body blow to their credibility. But um, Morrison ruled out any Labor-style global financial crisis stimulus spending, saying we are not a government of extreme fiscal responses. And we have the contrast in places like Hong Kong, where everyone in Hong Kong has been given $2,000 as a stimulus to try and keep the economy moving there. The economic cost of this virus is worsened by the travel bans that we've imposed on the 70,000 Chinese students blocked from their university studies. And the university sector has its fingers crossed that many of these students won't take up the option of studying elsewhere like Canada, which didn't impose travel bans hundreds of thousands more Chinese tourists are having to cancel their holidays. In fact, there is an estimate out on Thursday that um, the tourism sector is bracing for 1.5 million visitors not coming this year. So it's a real risk. So, Paul, when it comes to the travel ban, are the economic impacts worth it? Well, Ruby, there's no doubt the government's response has made a bad situation economically worse. But look, it's a fine line. And what choice did they have? None of the options are easy. And uh, there is public support for it. And the fact is the Labor opposition and others aren't quibbling with the measures being taken. Was the travel ban necessary? Well, the World Health Organisation hadn't called for such bans. But let's not forget the politics. This is a disaster and Morrison's not letting it go to waste. Australia's Chief Medical Officer, Dr Brendan Murphy, uh, is being wheeled out to give credibility to the response. And the government insists in this instance it is taking expert advice very seriously. We'll see more of these news conferences reassuring the nation that Morrison's in charge and keeping us all safe. And we will continue to keep our heads because that's what the Australian people elect us to do. Thank you very much. Paul, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks very much, Ruby. Bye. Join Richard Tognetti and the ACO for a bold and intrepid 2022. Featuring a live national concert season, their acclaimed on-demand film series ACO Studio Casts and exciting programs from their new home in Sydney's Walsh Bay. Subscriptions now on sale at aco.com.au. 
Sydney Dance Company explodes on stage with Memento. This world premiere by acclaimed choreographer Raphael Bonicella is unmissable contemporary dance. Strictly limited season from the 28th of May to the 8th of June. Book now at sydneydancecompany.com. Also in the news, the Australian government has activated an emergency management plan in response to the coronavirus outbreak. Yesterday afternoon, Prime Minister Scott Morrison extended the China travel ban by a further week and said he expected a global pandemic to be declared soon. The Prime Minister said the virus's rapid spread had prompted this latest action. And a new report by the UN Human Rights Office reveals the total number of civilian casualties to foreign conflict in Afghanistan over the past decade has surpassed 100,000. It also marks the sixth year in a row where the annual toll has surpassed 10,000. The UN stated, quote, that almost no civilian in Afghanistan has escaped being personally affected in some way by the ongoing violence. 7am is a daily show from The Monthly and The Saturday Paper. It's produced by Ruby Schwartz, Atticus Basto and Michelle Macklin. El Marsh is our features and field producer in a position supported by the Judith Nielsen Institute for Journalism and Ideas. Brian Compo mixes the show. Our editor is Osman Faruqi. Eric Jensen is our editor-in-chief. Our theme music is by Ned Beckley and Josh Hogan of Envelope Audio. New episodes of 7am are released every weekday morning. Make sure you don't miss out by subscribing on your favourite podcast app. I'm Ruby Jones. See you next week. Listener.